0: Adam Roche is the chief medical officer at Blueprint Prep and founder of Roche Review, which he created in 2011. He received his BA and MS from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He received his medical degree from Rutgers Medical School and completed his emergency medicine residency training at NYU. He went on to serve as assistant residency director and residency director at Detroit Receiving Hospital. He is the author and editor of Pre-Test Emergency Medicine and Case Files Emergency Medicine, both published by McGraw-Hill. Now there are two main components to our discussion, the origins and evolution of Rosh Review and its acquisition by Blueprint Prep. And given his career long involvement in medical education, we also talk about both teaching and learning. And I also learned that I've been pronouncing, mispronouncing rather, Rosh Hashanah, or I guess Rosh Hashanah. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Adam Rose, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: It's great to be here, Brad.
0: So first, let's talk side gig, right? Tell us about the origins of Roche Review.
1: So it's interesting about the origin of, uh, some people call it Roche Review or Roche Review. Either one works. The origin is really one of irony. And to really understand, you have to go back to kind of some personal struggles that I had and some failures that I had. I After my second year of undergraduate college, I had a 2.1 GPA, I was on the verge of, uh, probation. And, you know, I just I had a moment of reflection and trying to understand what I really wanted uh, out of my life. I, I was pretty successful in high school and athletics. And then that all came to an end when I went to undergrad. And so I was kind of lost for a while. And what I realized is I, I really wasn't believing in myself at that time. And I never learned how to learn. So I think when you combine the idea of um, someone who uh, wants to get better at something and someone who isn't afraid to look like an amateur at something, uh, that's a very powerful combination. Uh, And so at that moment, I had made a commitment to myself, that I'm going to kind of redo my own education. Uh, And I spent the next few years kind of reading every book I could get, relearning grammar and spelling and vocabulary. Uh, and I did all this because uh, I knew I didn't really have the foundation that I needed. And And as part of this, uh, I decided to uh, try to go to medical school because I figured it was one of the most difficult uh, tasks that you could do uh, as far as a career goes. And so I set on a path and got into medical school. Uh, and it was in medical school that I really started uh, loving education, loving teaching. And I would really consider, you know, my brain was almost like a right? right? I had acquired and accumulated all of this uh, new knowledge and ability to study that I wanted to give back. And so I started tutoring and teaching Uh, throughout medical school and into residency. And Rosh Review came about really because uh, in addition to my passion and love for teaching and education, uh, that's number one. Number two, I love technology and using technology in in ways to uh, create a wonderful user experience. And number three, I was really scratching my own itch. Uh, There wasn't any great resource out there in emergency medicine uh, that provided board review uh, for uh, the residents. And so it was on a night shift where we were all sitting around, the in-training exam was coming up and I asked the residents, what are, what are you gonna be using for your board exam? And there was silence. And that was really the spark, the moment. I, I remember it very clearly. It was uh, Halloween. 2011. Uh, that next morning, this was a night shift, I came home and I started writing questions. And those questions ultimately would get turned into a question bank that would go on to become a standard curriculum for more than 90% of emergency medicine residencies, for you know, more than 50% of really most of the graduate medical education residencies in addition to PA uh, school and nurse practitioner school. So that's, it starts, you know, it's an interesting way to start. Uh, And it was really something that for the last decade uh, was one of the most fulfilling and challenging uh, areas of of my life.
0: You took a big leap in time there from going home and writing a couple questions to now test prep for many specialties and nurse practitioners and PAs. so there's there's a lot there's a lot in there so what were some of the building blocks of growing the business you
1: know, it was fascinating a lot of people in medicine are are you know there's a lot of fear in doing something outside of medicine a fear of not having enough Knowledge, not having enough experience, the fear of already invested time uh, in a career, and those are all valid. Uh, and um, when we go through medical school and residency, we're really good at what we studied, what we focused on. I think, um, I think what I, what what was fulfilling for me is that I. When I started writing those questions, it was apparent that I loved that just as much or more than seeing patients, and I loved seeing patients. I mean, I set out and ended up, my goal was to be a program director in emergency medicine, which I was, uh, and I was uh, a very academic physician. but I realized that there's other challenges in that all of my training was a sunk cost. And that was okay. That, that the next 10 years of what I was gonna do was gonna be even more fulfilling for me. And so I was willing to make that transition. Uh, and I'm sure we could spend some time on what that transition looked like because I think that's very important. Uh, but the real takeaway here is that all of the skills that I learned in becoming a physician really carried over into building a business, being a CEO, and it's really about being a leader. And I felt that uh, the challenge of developing a team, of running a team, uh, of building a culture, of creating an office, a business, that mirrored the type of environment that I always wished I could be a part of in residency and in a practice, right? I had that power to do that. I recognized that, you know, taking on some entrepreneurial role here that I could build this from the first step, from the first block here. And so the next 10 years were spent uh, making a lot of mistakes, uh, watching, uh, talking to other people and hearing about their mistakes, uh, but really understanding the value of the human, which is what I learned in medical school and residency. And that human being a learner and putting that learner at the center of everything we did. Uh, and for my coworkers who I worked with, uh, you know, I considered them just like colleagues uh, and trying to build an environment, a culture that supported their needs, whether they had a family, uh, whether they wanted to be challenged, uh, whatever it was, uh, I because I was still working full-time. And so this was really never about the money, uh, which was really interesting characteristic of building this business because I knew if it failed, I always had a backup plan Which was practicing medicine, which I was just fine with, and so it allowed me to create a business that was truly, I think, unique in the current environment, uh, where we take, where we take people's, you know, treat them like real people, and you know, inspire them rather than tell them what to do. Right, motivate them to want to be there and be a part of our company uh, rather than entice them with, you know, vacation or a salary or whatever it was. Of course, that was part of it. But ultimately, the people who are most committed are the people that believe in what I believed in and who believed in me as their leader. And that was a really special time. It's a really special time to be able to have that opportunity to have that privilege, just like it's a privilege to work with patients uh, every day. It was a privilege to build this business uh, with all of my coworkers around me.
0: You mentioned that there were a couple of missteps along the way, right? Uh, Is inevitably going to happen in any business. So in retrospect, if you were going to do things differently, is there, is there anything that you can think of that you would say, you know what, I would, I would have done this instead of that.
1: I think really hard about this question. And, you know, even to this day, I never look at something as a mistake or an error. I always look at every behavior, every, everything as an opportunity. And yeah, things may have, you know, had a different outcome than what I had expected, but uh, ultimately it just became a, a new opportunity. You know, like Ryan Holiday and Marcus Aurelius, they talk about uh, the obstacle is the way, and I always focused on that. Like whenever there was a difficult question or something that didn't turn out the way we thought it would, we would use that obstacle uh, as the solution, as the path. You know, there was, for example, one organization uh, out there that looked at us as competitors. You know, they were a professional organization and, and they disinvited us to one of the trade shows, one of the, you know, academic um, meetings. And it was, that was hurtful because we never want, we didn't want to be a competitor. I mean, naturally, yes, we did some of the same things, but we really saw ourselves as a complement to what they were doing. And, and we really wanted to elevate what, what their mission was. So we said, okay, we can't go to the trade show. Fine. Uh, so why don't we, what, what, what opportunity do we have? So we put on, a, this was in person at the time. Uh, so we put on our own kind of seminar at the hotel alongside their uh, academic assembly. And we chose times that, you know, maybe during lunch or when there were breaks, we didn't want to disrupt what they were doing. Uh, and we had interacted with hundreds of people. And so that was an experience where it was disheartening and it was a blow and it happened. Uh, but we used the obstacle as the way, uh, and turned out to have a very good outcome uh, like that.
0: Great, great. I So I, I like to have a lot of like brass tacks advice for my listeners to be able to follow. So let's turn it around a little bit and talk about what you learned about learning, right? As one of our roles as physicians, we're teaching our trainees, but we're also teaching our patients. So let's let's talk about learning techniques and teaching techniques. And a while ago, I had an episode with uh, Chase DeMarco, who who calls himself the medical nemenist, uh, where we learned about different learning techniques that I've never heard of. So if the listener is interested in that, definitely check out that episode. And actually, I taught the um, graduating uh, medical students from NYU Long Island. I gave a couple lectures to them and uh, I had a slide about learning how to learn. And they said, oh, actually, we learned that we learned that. So. In some medical school, now they're actually, when we were there, because I think we're around the same age, we were uh, we were not taught how to learn, right? But now that's happening. So for those of us, you know, who are a little the Gen Xers out there and elder millennials and, and such, let's talk about how to learn.
1: That's, that's exactly right there. The schools never had formal classes on learning. And I think a lot of the literature uh, really came out only in the last 20 years anyway. And, you know, there's a lot of learning theories out there. Space repetition, interleaving, and they all, you know, there's support for these things uh, for sure. I think when you talk about learning, there's, you could apply what I love is looking at other disciplines and think that I think about learning as no different than athletics and becoming an elite athlete. And how do you become an elite? What's the difference between an elite athlete and someone who just plays, you know, on a high school sports team? And a lot of it is around the edges or maybe college sports team. Let's say that it's around the edges. And it's the same thing with learning. I think there's general learning uh, where you could pass exams. You could do pretty well on standardized exams. You do well in school and you get what you need and, and that's fine. And then there's those who just develop a really strong grasp and intuition and deep understanding of the topic. And those are the lifelong learners. And those are the people who perform deliberate practice, right? Deliberate practice in Anderson's book. I think it's ours, ours, Anderson, um, peak performance and athletes. That's the differential. It was deliberate practice. It was doing something and then analyzing it over and over again, until you do it perfectly. And I think the same thing carries over into learning. So often, you know, I think we've moved away from just this idea of you could read a textbook and highlight it. I think you need to make things, you need to make connections. You need to have a deep understanding and that's done through many, there's no one way to do it. But I think if there is gonna be one umbrella uh, idea to think about this, it's to be able to not memorize, but understand, to be able to look at the connections on things and to be able to then, it's okay to read something in a textbook or cha- in a chapter, uh, but then engage with it in a way that uses the classic learning theory of retrieval practice and spaced repetition. So standardized exams are a great example where you, know, you could read uh, a chapter, you could do questions on it, you should document what you get wrong, not just keep it in your mind, but actually write it down, go back to that documentation, you know, every two, three days, because you also want to use this idea of the forgetting curve. When you start studying how we remember things, it's actually by forgetting. When we forget something, what that does is our brain, when we need to think about that topic or that nugget of knowledge, it's somewhere in our brain, but it's fuzzy. It's not entirely elucidated that well. And so we forget either all of it or most of it. Three days later, three weeks later, whatever it is, you go back and try and retrieve that piece of information. Maybe you remember it at some point, or maybe you have to look it up. But every time you do that, the theory is that the synapses of that piece of information get stronger and stronger. So it's just like training in sports, right? You take breaks, you have phasic training, you work super hard, then you take a break and you kind of let your body kind of fall back a little, recover, and then you train hard again. And that's the same thing with using your brain you know, the brain's not a muscle, but it responds in a very similar way to how our muscles respond. And um, I don't think these tactics and techniques are challenging or difficult. You just need to be aware of them. And I think in medical school, because there is so much information that often we just find ourselves memorizing when it would be in the long run, a little, it would be more advantageous to try and understand, have a deeper understanding and see the connections in these things. Sure. You know, I love your tagline about the C- uh, Krebs cycle. Um, right, we don't need to memorize every uh, element or every compound or uh, chemical in the uh, citric acid cycle, but we could look that up. But to understand where its role in, you know, how it connects with glycolysis and how it, its role into producing glucose and energy and ATP for us, that's really critical because when you have a drug that inhibits the TCA cycle, now we understand the mechanism of that drug, and why it's given and what it does. And that's the lasting knowledge and how we could connect things to one another.
0: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, but we are sometimes called upon to, for this rote memorization, right? Like it would be ideal if that wasn't the case, right? All this minutia that we could look up at, a you know, we have our computers at our fingertips, our phones at our fingertips. When I was a medical student, they made us buy a, a, a PDA. I think it was what it was like a Palm Pilot. That's right. Right. They made us that we never used. We never opened like they never, never opened it up. But now we have all this, you know, on our phones and our computers at our fingertips. So when when there is a role for memorization, do you have any tips or tricks for that?
1: I don't think I have anything unique uh, that other people aren't aware of, you know, there's lots of great, um, memory pyramids. I think they're called memory castles. Oh, memory palace. Yeah. Memory palaces. Yeah. I, you know, that idea, like when I interact with those types of, um, uh, strategies and, that makes sense to me right in medical school some of the things that are most vivid to me are you know clinical microbiology made ridiculously simple that book to this day right i remember so much of it and i think it's about you know the memorization part is is relating things but here's the here's the issue where you know when we talk memorization doesn't go into long term memory most of memorization doesn't go into long term memory there certainly are things but then it's no longer really memorization, then it's really association. Somehow, uh, whatever it is, whether, um, you know, I could recite uh, all of the states in alphabetical order and I could probably do it under a minute uh, due to a song that I learned when I was in like fifth grade. Uh, So, you know, I memorized it at that time and now somehow my brain uh, has put it in its long-term memory. I think as physicians or anyone, you know you know if we're called upon to memorize something or to regurgitate just this um, obscure rare knowledge it, we either know it or we don't know it but I think the key takeaway is that it's okay to say we don't know something I, I think that's more powerful uh, and I think from the patient standpoint uh, how you deal with that to say you know you, you don't know you, you don't know what the answer is uh, but I'm like the classic, right? I'm, I'm going to let you know, I'll, I'll get back to you on that one, uh, is probably the right way to go uh, with that. And if you're doing the work, if you're truly engaged and at the physician level where we need to be experts in things, my guess is we probably do know the questions that are being asked by patients. And we probably can recall almost everything. If we're in a conference, I think people would totally understand if you can't recall something, there'll be someone in the audience
0: that could help out, I'm sure. So what about teaching, right? Because Rosh Review was recently acquired by Blueprint, who has a cadre of MCAT instructors, right? So what are those instructors, or, or if you had instructors as part of your program, what are they being taught about teaching techniques, right? Because we're often
1: called upon to be in that role. Yeah, teaching, again, just like learning, there's lots of different techniques that work. And, uh, when blueprint was founded, it was the idea to kind of move away from the rote, you know, the, the lecturer just standing up and, and going over lecture notes. And, and I think probably most of education has moved away from this, but, you know, surprisingly, I still, I still see it more than I would like to the blueprint educators and teachers their real focus is how do you make the interaction enjoyable, lighthearted, bring in comedy? Um, You know, Blueprint is a Los Angeles company. It's an LA company. They have videographers lining up, right? There's Hollywood is uh, right there. So uh, they are easily able to harness Those resources uh, to combine with their uh, ability to, first of all, they are, you you know, they have real command of that material. So you have teachers who may not truly uh, grasp a concept and have a hard time explaining it, but by explaining it, they'll get better. Uh, When we identify who's going to be a teacher, uh, at Blueprint, just like a question writer, author at Ross Review. Uh, you know, we look at what's their experience teaching? What's their experience with how well they've done uh, on standardized exams so that they could have uh, a real grasp? Doing well in a standardized exam, though, doesn't mean you're going to be a good teacher, right? No way. Uh, so they go through rigorous uh, 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 perform, you know, they, they do the teaching, they get evaluated, uh, and then, and then they become a teacher. I think the key is engaging students, keeping, keeping your sessions to a digestible amount of time where the information is digestible in a certain amount of time, you know, 20 minutes, take a break, another 20 minutes, take a break. Uh, you know, you just want to think about, uh, we know that people's uh, attention span starts kind of drifting away uh, if you don't change up the uh, what's being communicated. In 20 minutes, you know, you're going to start losing people. We should probably transition to something because I'm going to start losing people because we're probably about at the 20-minute
0: mark. We're at 20 minutes. I was thinking the same yeah. thing. We're at the 20-minute <laughs> mark right now. So you mentioned okay. So so when you're teaching. Um, you said using humor to keep people engaged, or any way you can keep it lighthearted and engaging, and also keeping it in small enough nuggets um, before transitioning to make it all digestible. Anything else that you'd recommend to keep the audience engaged?
1: Yeah, we use you know a lot of animations, right? A lot of visual diagrams so that the speaking or the teaching itself is reinforced by a whole nother part of the brain that's seeing relationships through graphics, through illustrations, through animations. And I think the combination of that is extremely powerful uh, because that starts now, you know, people start being able to recall those types of image, that type of imagery, uh, and, It helps them when they leave that lecture, uh, when they're studying on their own, uh, that it's something that stays with them much easier than, you know, 10 minutes of a lecture on, you know, complex material. Yeah. Are you still practicing right now? So I practiced up until 2019, and I stopped practicing because I ruptured my bicep tendon in my left arm so that was the reason why the first time I ever stopped practicing I I was taking a car carrier off of my car and there was a pair of skis in it that I didn't know was in it and I knew right when it happened I knew exactly what it was didn't go to the ER uh, because I I, you know I I knew there was nothing in the ER anyone could do Uh, but I did have surgery uh, on it and I repaired the tendon Uh, and then uh, physical therapy was about six months, uh, and I haven't gone back since then. So my whole, my sole focus, which was very interesting up to that point, I was balancing my time between being an educator, working at RastraView, running a company and working clinically. Uh, and now my sole focus is being an educator and helping, uh, to really, how do we take Rosh and uh, take advantage of all of the support that Blueprint uh, has been able to provide for us.
0: So while you were still practicing and involved in educating, was there anything that you learned about teaching techniques that translated into patient care, right? How to communicate. I mean, I I don't think you're going to have animations when you're explaining things to patients. Although I think there are some programs for iPads out there, but uh, anything that you learned about being an effective teacher that translated into being an effective teacher to your patients? No,
1: no, I think you, you touch on it, right? I think so often when I see physicians and being a patient myself or my child being a patient or my wife being a patient, right? We're attuned to what's happening in that, that transaction of knowledge, right? Where I'm watching physicians and how they're communicating. And sometimes you come across ones where you say they get it. And other times it's really disappointing. I think it's challenging no matter what as a physician, because our time is uh, limited and there's a lot of pressures today than There were probably then 20 years ago, but using techniques uh, as simple at the bedside as diagrams, as stories, as relatable examples, all work super well. We're so, it's easy for us to speak in the scientific language, in the medical language, but we forget, right, we have the curse of knowledge. We forget that our patients know nothing about what we're about trying to tell them. And it's the same thing with students. We have a curse of knowledge in that we assume often that our learners are understanding the things that we are taking for granted in that understanding. And so just recognizing that and being able to start with the fundamentals of any anything you're trying to learn, the building blocks of these things, and to use relatable examples to um, try and find things that people, that they understand, you know, with with patients, just, you know, instead of talking about the heart, talk about a a pump, a water pump, right? Talk about a sink with water in and water out. That makes things make much more sense uh, to our patients. And in teaching, it's the same way. Right? You could use similar examples in how we teach.
0: Excellent. Well, um, I'm sorry about your bicep tear, uh, but it sounds like it it uh, helped you transition, right, at this point in your life to uh, to what you're doing. A- any parting words for the audience on either learning or teaching or setting up a business?
1: I think um, I think since a lot of what you talk about uh, in in your podcast uh, is how do we really live a full life and you know being getting to the point of being a physician uh, it was a huge sacrifice for a lot of people it's a huge sacrifice for everyone i mean and i think people who whatever reason that they want to try something new or accumulate you know get some income from somewhere else or change their jobs so often and i, I hear the same thing we hire right we hire physicians to work at rosh review and blueprint and a lot of them are full-time a lot of them are part-time but many are full-time and it's the same story and it's usually about 10 years out right you start getting burnt out you start not loving what it is uh, that you signed up for and there's a lot of fear in making that next jump because you've invested all of this money you may even still be paying back student loans you have probably a couple cars a bigger house kids potentially and you start like you know it's it becomes very you have a lot of fear and that's normal and that's completely normal but what i could tell you is you have all of the tools, your utility belt is ready for anything. When you get into medicine, you've gone through rigorous years in undergrad. You've studied for an MCAT. You've gone through an interview process for medical school. You've spent nights studying in medical school. You've gone on an interview trail and in residency, you make life and death decisions. You you are the number one person to now make a decision for yourself to go out and try something that maybe you've always wanted to do, right? How are you standing in the way of achieving what you've always wanted to achieve? And that's a really important question to ask. How are you complacent in not getting what you want? you start asking that question, you know, things become clearer and it's just a leap. There's nothing on the other side of fear. Fear is an emotion in our mind. It's real in what we feel, but it's just an emotional feeling. And um, so I think uh I think we're in a very challenging environment in healthcare. Um and, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful for all of the people that have stood by my side that have supported me uh, and given me advice. And so for your audience, you know, uh, there are people out there who are there to help that are rooting for you, that will mentor you, that will teach you from the mistakes that they've learned and uh, that they've made. And uh, I, I know I, that, that was my case. And I know I've made many mistakes that I could certainly uh, share some wisdom from. And uh, yeah, just grateful to be able to speak with you and, and uh, look forward to listening to many more of your podcasts.
0: Well, fantastic. Adam Roche, Roche Review, also available now at, uh, at Blueprint. Uh, Thanks so much for your time.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.